You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. One of the most important questions, the most important question any person will ever ask is, who is Jesus? Not just who is he historically, who is he in some uh, way of knowing information, but who is he to you? Who do you say that he is? Without knowing him, you can't really establish any other measure by which to understand yourself. You cannot truly know yourself apart from knowing him because it's his view of us that sets reality in place, that teaches us what is true. He is the great measuring stick by which everything is measured. He is the truth. And so as we know him, we want to know him accurately, that he is our redeemer. He is the one who will rescue us, has rescued us, will extract us from harm, will pay the price so that we could be bought back. We can't do that ourselves. And as those truths start to settle on us, the truth of who he is becomes real to us. Not just knowledge to us, but knowledge that we live with, not just knowledge that changes the way we see everything. As those things become real in us, we start to understand the priorities of life. We start to understand how to measure perspectives and opinions. And my hope and my prayer is that as we go through this series on Redeemer, that you will have a set of lenses that comes down over your soul whereby you view God and you view yourself and you view your work and your money and your family and your accomplishments in this life and your defeats in this life and disappointments in this life. And this morning, I want to help you understand that he is the Lord of the storm. Just for a roadmap of where we're going this morning, I want you to see these points that will help you navigate this small little section of Scripture, that in verses 22 and 23, we see an unexpected storm that uh, descends upon the disciples. It's unexpected to them. They could not see it coming. Jesus always sees storms coming in their life and in our life. In verse 24, we see that God has a peculiar classroom, and a lot of things that you believe are theoretical until you meet him in that classroom, the divine lecture hall and laboratory combined. And then in verse 25, we see the revelation. This passage of Scripture is in the heart of a series of events that go about the one question, who is Jesus? I mean, who is he? We, if you ask the disciples ahead of this, who is Jesus, they would have boldly and loudly said, he's the Messiah. And they were right, but they were very much underestimating what that meant. It's a trap that they fell into, and it's one that we can fall into. It says here that one day he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And so they set out, and as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling up with water, and they were in danger. The important thing to know about this unexpected storm is that this is in Galilee. Many, if not most, of the disciples are from this region. This is home turf to them. This is comfortable, 
Uh, this is the zone they know. They grew up on that lake with uncles, fathers, grandfathers, cousins, dads. They grew up there. They knew how to cross from one side of the lake to the other. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles from north to south, and it is eight miles at its widest point. And it has kind of a, almost an odd egg shape to it. It is 140 feet deep at its deepest point, and it's surrounded by mountains, almost completely surrounded by mountains. And that is important for you to understand, that it is the kind of place where a storm could brew up very, very quickly. It's not that deep. It's not that big. And a storm can blow in at any given moment. And it says that Jesus has told them, let's go across to the other side. You can almost see of all the things that they do with Jesus, this one they kind of get. We can do that. We've done that. Except on this occasion, Jesus wants them to know something about him. And so he takes them into a storm that they can't see coming. And it says that as they sailed, he fell asleep. And wind came down upon the lake. It has the idea of a sudden coming down, a sudden landing on them. And that as they are panicking, Jesus is sleeping. Now, you'd have to almost try to imagine being in, as one of the 12 on that boat, taking in the scene of fishermen like Peter, James, and John, who... I don't know about you, but I kind of want to take my cues from the guy that grew up there that understood it. I mean, Jesus, great preacher, great, you know, miracle worker, all that. But does he know anything about lakes? I mean, let's be honest. Peter, James, and John are the authority there, right? I mean, if they get nervous, I get nervous. If they're calm, I'm calm. And what we see in this moment is that Jesus is fast asleep like a baby in his mother's arms. Why? They're over here starting to worry and panic, and they have good reason to. It says they were in danger, water coming on to the boat, and they were in danger. And if you look and you see the faces of the disciples and you see Jesus over there, there's a study in contrast. One group frightened for good reason. One man sleeping peaceful for good reason. What's his reason? Well, he's safe and he knows it. He's utterly safe. He's utterly in control of things that they can't control. And it's an important thing for us to try to picture as we sit here in this room. You're going into storms, perhaps, in the next 12 months that you just can't see coming. I remember in 2007, I remember that New Year's Eve in 2007 saying to Monica on December 31st, 2007, Let's put this loser year behind us and move on. This year was awful, and I'm so glad to turn the page on 2007. You ever had a year like that? A, 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 a life storm that hit so hard in something maybe that you felt comfortable with, something maybe you kind of felt like I'm in my comfort zone and I am getting blown to pieces here. You ever felt like that? Felt like you had not just one life storm, but a series of life storms that were hitting you left and right, and you did not feel like there was anything you could do to get away from it. 
Well, he's the Lord of the storm. And he wants us to know that he is the Lord of our storm. In that, some of you are like, yeah, I'm in it right now. I'm in it. And I've been in it for the last 12 months or whatever. I'm in a storm that I don't like and I can't get out of it. The question I would have when you look at the life storms that you encounter is, how much would you say you are reliant on yourself and how much are you reliant on the promises of God? If it was a scale, relying on self, relying on God, which one would be more weighty in your life? The promises of God or the ability to just grit it out, work hard, struggle through, logic your way through it, pay for your way through it, something like that. Well, let's keep watching. So Jesus is asleep, enjoying a good nap, and why wouldn't he? He's fully human. He can sympathize with us when we're weary. He was weary. He often got up early to pray. He often stayed up late, sometimes all night praying. Of course, he's weary, and he's going to go to sleep on this boat. Partly, he's just tired, and partly, he just knows that he's safe. And it says that as he's asleep, they finally come, and they wake him because they're in danger. And they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, I love that they finally got around to that. I mean, you got to hand it to him. Eventually, someone said, you know, probably we should wake him up, right? I mean, <laughs> we might have many times over said, let him sleep. We can handle this. What does he know about lakes anyways? Let him sleep. We've done this before. We can do this. Well, eventually, they wake him up with the words, Master, Master, we are perishing. And that's a good thing to turn to the Lord. But I wonder how long did it take them? How much wrestling did they do before they turned to him? Maybe in their own minds, they've said something like what we say is, I've got this. Why would I need to talk to the Lord about this? This storm is bad, but I think I've got it. And then finally, you end up a place I don't have it. I'm in trouble. God help me. I'm dying. How long did it take them? How long would it take us in the middle of one of life's storms to finally cry out and say, I'm outmatched. I'm in over my head. I'm scared to death. I can't do what I thought I could do. Now I turn and look at him almost. You kind of have to ask yourself, was this accusatory? Was this in some way? Come on. What are you doing sleeping over there when we're dying? Do you even care about me? You ever felt like in the middle of some horrible event that maybe God's just asleep, doesn't know anything about what you're facing? Well, that's where they're at. And so they wake him up with these words, Master, Master, we are perishing. It's not like some people face these things and others don't. It's not like some people are so wise, so godly, so good that they don't face storms in life. We all face them. And what did Spurgeon say? This great quote by Spurgeon, blessed is the storm that throws me into the rock of ages. 
It's a good and right thing when the storm of life hits hard, that that storm throws you against the rock of ages. It puts you on your knees in front of him rather than self-reliantly just trying to grit your way through it. I had a seminary professor, Jeff Bingham, and he would always make this statement, listen now and hear me later. Listen now and hear me later. So he'd be telling us all this stuff about theology and about how it lives out in the life of a pastor. And he'd say, listen now, but you're going to hear me later. And what he meant by that was, you can listen to what I'm saying, but you're not going to hear it until you get into the storm, into God's private, peculiar classroom of suffering. And he brings you into truths that you have assented to, you have agreed with, you have sung about, made notes about, but you haven't really believed these things yet. And in God's classroom, he's drawing you in to believe with your heart and mind things that you have agreed to with your intellect. And that's what's going on when the disciples cry out, Master, Master, we are perishing. We need you. We're not strong enough for the task in front of us. And so one day I just followed Dr. Bingham after class and I said, why do you keep saying that? Listen now and hear me later because I knew he was right. You keep telling me that the things that I believe are not really going to stop me from the suffering that's coming my way. So what's the point of me being here and taking all these notes and paying all this money to go to seminary? Like, if you're telling me that even if I listen to you now and try to engage these truths about the sovereignty of God, that I'm not really going to actually hear that until I'm faced with something that outmatches me, he said, that's right. And if I had my way, you wouldn't get to come to this school until you'd had 10 years of ministry experience. <laughs> and I'm like, what? then what's the point? And he said, Robert it's, it's, Robert, it's not that you don't believe it now. It's not that you don't believe that God loves you and sees you and knows you and he, that he's sovereign. It's that you don't believe it in a very functioning, practical way because you haven't suffered in the way that you're going to suffer as you try to walk with God through this broken world and encounter broken people. And you will meet God in your valley. So friends, let me just encourage you with this. God sees you. God hears you. You are not anonymous to him. His delay and his peculiar way and timing of interacting with you when you're praying and you don't sometimes understand why he doesn't just fix this thing, that does not mean that he doesn't see you. That does not mean that he's not at work in the middle of your storm. In fact, he is doing his best work in the middle of your storm. He's teaching you the, the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the first memory verses that any of us ever had as a brand new Christian. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Don't make your path straight. Trust in him. Don't lean in what you can understand. If you would have asked these guys, what are you supposed to do? It probably would have been row harder. Get the sail in the right place. Get us off this lake. 
They had done that kind of stuff before. They couldn't do it this time. Why? Because Jesus wanted them to know something about him that they did not really understand. They did not really believe. And here it is. I am the Lord of your storm. It was unexpected to you, but it was not unexpected to me. I saw this coming, and I'm going to use this for an opportunity for you to know who I really am. Trust in the Lord. James tells us that if we lack wisdom, ask God. Because God is at work through our trials and our suffering. He is maturing us. He's bringing us into maturity in Christ. So count it joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that God is building something in you. Faith, endurance. He's shaping Christ in you. And, and just so you know, this ain't easy. And I have nothing but compassion for you if you're in God's classroom right now. If you're in the classroom of suffering. My heart hurts for you. I, I have nothing but empathy for you. I've been there and it hurts. But I want to tell you this. It is for a season and it is for a reason. And God is combining things here in a way that you would never choose for yourself, but God would. Because he loves you. And so what happens? They wake him up. They say, basically, we're dying. He woke up. He rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? You know, when I was a kid, I'm the youngest of three, we would drive from Salina, Kansas to Cleburne, Texas to see our grandparents. It felt like forever. I think it was about a six-hour drive, six and a half, something like that. It felt like forever. And being the youngest of three, an older brother and older sister, on the back seat of one of those massive Oldsmobiles, a big four-door car, it always meant that I had the middle seat and that I got the, the, the little narrow piece here and my brother and sister. The, the seats were marked with such a way that you could tell whose territory was whose and we'd get fighting about it. And before you know it, we're arguing and, and, and dad would turn around and start whacking at us, you know. Uh, but it, it was really serious when we pulled the car over. Dad pulls the car over to turn around and deal with you. It's going to get dealt with. I love that the words here for what Jesus did to that storm, what he said to the waves and to the wind, was essentially derisively turning around and chiding them like a parent would a child, get in order, be still, be calm, and it just goes, and it's calm, and it's peaceful. And now they've got something else to be afraid of. He looks at them and he says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Mark, Mark chapter 4 is a companion text to this. It's a little harsher what Mark says in his description. He says, why are you so afraid? A lot of these rhetorical questions are actually worth answering. Where's your faith? Well, it left when the water kept coming. I didn't have much faith to begin with, but when that water kept coming and the wind kept howling, what little faith I had just flew out of the boat, and I was scared. Where was my faith? I didn't have any. 
I mean, I know that you're great and you're powerful. I know that you're Messiah. I just didn't know that you could do anything about this. Let me ask you this. When the storm blows into your life, where's your faith? You know? I mean, if you were completely honest, is it that your faith, where it's at, it's in your money. If you have enough money, you can use money and you can accomplish things. You can move things around. You don't have much money, then you're scared. Okay, then your money is where your faith is at. We all fall in that trap to some level. Well, if something bad happens, I can trigger it, figure out what I can do to mitigate that. Logic guys will try to retrace their steps and they'll try to forecast how to avoid suffering in the future because that's where their faith is at, is in their logic. Fix it guys, fly into fix it mode because that's where their faith is at. Other people, they just go shopping to get distracted. I mean, you know, if I just do, if I buy this, I'll feel better. And I, that's where their faith is at. Where is your faith? In the middle of the storm. Because what we're looking at at the end of this passage in this verse is the revelation. And that's the last book of the Bible, right? Not revelations, but the revealing, the revelation of Jesus to the world. That's the revelation. Who he truly is becomes obvious in the revelation. It's the revealing through storm after storm after storm. There's Jesus in all of his glory and all of his brilliance. So where is your faith in the middle of the storm? This is what's revealed. Lord, I don't trust you. I trust me. I trust in my personality. I trust in my gritty, stick-to-it, hard work. That's where my faith is at. And that got revealed to me in the middle of the storm. You know, a pastor friend of mine once said, he said to his congregation, I was in that congregation at the time, it's Watermark Community Church in Dallas, he said, when you get a headache, you just go take Advil, huh? Why don't you pray about it? He said, I'm not saying don't take Advil. I'm saying, why is, why is it you turn to, why not turn to God first? Why not ask him for help? I mean, you can take the Advil, fine, take the Advil, but do you really feel like you have no advocate in the middle of big storms, little storms? Do you feel like you're on your own? Do you turn to him? Do you look to him? Do you ask him for strength? Do you ask him for protection? Do you ask him for wisdom? Do you turn to him in the middle of your day and say, God, I'm outmatched? I don't think I can do what I'm supposed to do. I don't have the courage. I don't have the faith. I don't have the money. I need you to help me through this storm, not to be self-reliant, but to be reliant on you. You're the Lord of the storm. You're the Lord over my storm. You're the one who saw this coming and had a plan. And now when the waves go flat and the wind goes silent, it says that they were afraid. What are they afraid of now? I mean, I understood being afraid of the storm. Now they're afraid of Jesus. But it's not a fear like the fear of the storm. This is a holy fear. This is a fear that is appropriate. You ever stood in front of something that made you feel small? I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I've flown over it. They say when you stand in front of it, you feel, you feel tiny. You, you feel that big. 
and you stand in front of the pyramids in Giza, in Egypt, you feel like your life is just a breath because they've been standing there for so long. I one time stood at Lake Texoma when they were generating energy, electricity through the dam. They'd open up the floodgates, and the power of that water made me feel so small and so weak. The disciples have it right when it says that they're afraid. They fear Jesus because at first, you ask them, who is Jesus, before they get in that boat, they would all say, he's the Messiah, and they were right, and they had vastly, vastly, vastly underestimated who he really was and what that really meant. And friends, beloved church, we have too. We have too. When we face struggles as spouses married to other sinners who are our spouse, and we feel lonely, and we feel beat up, and we feel like we can't make the marriage what we want the marriage to be, we can try to put our faith in a hundred things, but the one who created us has an answer. Turn to me. Ask me for healing. When you don't know what you're doing as a parent, you tried everything, and it's not working. It's not fixing the problem. Well, you can turn to him. He understands. He loves. He understands them. He knows them. He loves them. He can help you. Fear of God. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fearing God, turning to God, in awe of God, because He is vast, He is wise, He is powerful, and He is here. In the middle of your now, he is here. I heard N.T. Wright talking this week, and it really made an impression on me what he said. We've been taught to believe that heaven is somewhere up there, way far north, a long ways from here. It's way, way up there. God's way up there. He said, but biblically speaking, God is in the middle of this, that there's a way in which God is able to open the doors and come into your now. That he's not way up there. He is dwelling in us. That his word is active in us. It's not some way north, someplace way up north, someplace in the sky somewhere. It is him right here in the middle of this room saying to you, I'm here. Turn to me if you're weary. I will give you rest. Look to me and find salvation because I am the Lord of the storm. If you look at Job at the end of the book, you see God saying to Job over and over again, answer me this since you know. Where were you when I set a boundary for the ocean? Where were you when I sunk the, the, the basis of the world? Where were you when this and that, when I put the stars in place? And then he goes from all of those massive things to, and where were you or what do you know about when the mountain goat gives birth do you see what's just happened there? The bigness of God on display, the smallness of God on display. He is the God who faces all of the, 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 the placing of the creation in order. And he's also the God who watches over the mountain goat. What do I do with that? He sees me. He knows me. And he loves me. And he is our Messiah. And we know that we can trust him. Why? 
Because Jesus would face a storm much worse than this one. He would face the storm of God's wrath, the ultimate storm of death, the ultimate storm of God's anger against sin was poured out on Jesus for you and for me. He didn't just face this storm on the lake that night. He faced the ultimate storm of death and wrath, and he was crucified, he was buried, he was raised again for us. You can trust him with any storm that you're facing, friend. Let's pray.